0: You're listening to Commute the Podcast. Congratulations, you'll
1: be smarter when you get there.
0: What up? Welcome into Commute the Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we're about to take a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you'll find them interesting as well. We can guarantee you this you'll be smarter when you get to your destination on this edition of Commute. Did you hear that? I'm popping my knuckles. For years now, I've had a very vocal minority tell me that one day it'll cause arthritis. Am I right? Or are
1: they right? Even if you don't think Kentucky Fried Chicken is finger licking good, you probably recognize their iconic mascot, Colonel Sanders, who has taken many forms over the years. But Colonel Sanders was a very real man with a complicated history. We'll explore it and ask some questions about what his legacy means or what it should mean. Jay, you look like a guy that eats the famous bowl. I mean, is that just, like, everything that they offer they just put in one bowl? It's
0: basically what pigs eat, but they disguise it as human food. Ever heard of Usain Bolt? You know... The runner guy with the awesome name? Well, he's currently considered to be the world's fastest man. But is it actually humanly possible to run faster than him? Or have human beings become as fast as we'll ever be? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, my man, there are things that I like to call the simple pleasures of life. And I think that while most of us would agree on some of these things, okay, like a walk on the beach, a random phone call from a loved one, finding 20 bucks in the pocket of the jeans that you just washed, there are other simple pleasures that are more individualized, like a cup of coffee before work, listening to an uninterrupted podcast, like maybe commute while you mow the lawn, or even a drive into work that doesn't involve any traffic. Jay, what's something that you enjoy that would be considered a simple pleasure?
1: So I actually buy these little Italian ice single serve uh, things from the store every single time we go, go on to the store. And, uh, man, like I build my week around it. Like, I'm like <laughs> man, I'm like having a hard day. I'm like, I'm about to get that Italian ice.
0: Perfect. But Jay, some simple pleasures can actually be pretty bad for you, like smoking a cigarette. Sneaking and eating a grape while you shop for groceries. That's called petty theft. But one simple pleasure that, Jay, I thoroughly enjoy has been debated many times over the course of both of our lifetimes. What is it, you ask? Cracking your knuckles. Now, Jay, when I wake up in the morning, I crack my knuckles. When I'm eating dinner, I crack my knuckles. I do it so many times per day that it's impossible to keep count. And actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, I may need Uh, Some medical help. Uh, I actually may have an issue. But we're not talking about my addiction. We're talking about is it actually bad for you? Does it cause arthritis? Is it bad for your joints to pop or crack your knuckles? Well, thankfully, because of the opinionated hot takes all over the internet on this subject, a lot of research actually exists and our friends at the Harvard Medical School laid it all out for us in a report that they released last year. The result? Highly unlikely to
1: cause harm. Seems like this segment is more like a way for you to have a weapon to use against people in your life, more than like teach somebody something. Like, hey, check out the research man, I did an episode on it.
0: Harvard did it, not me. Harvard reached this exciting conclusion by examining many, many, many studies through the years on the relationship between knuckle cracking and arthritis. One of the most thorough pieces of information comes from one study among many similar studies conducted by a physician in California. The doctor conducted a lifelong examination on himself committing to cracking the knuckles on only one of his hands for decades while taking x-rays of his bones and running reports of himself along the way to monitor his condition.
1: Man, what a guy. He really committed to the bit.
0: After years and years of research, Jay, he confidently concluded that there was no difference in arthritis or functionality between his two hands. So now that we know it's safe, what causes the habit to form for myself and so many like me? Well, the popping noise you hear is caused by the joint fluid between your fingers being cleared out, temporarily increasing the space between each joint. It typically takes some time for this to rebuild as well, which is why professional poppers like me will tell you that it takes some time between pops for the gas to rebuild. Now, Jay, while these studies do not raise any safety concerns on cracking your knuckles, you still need to be careful. Some folks have been a little too aggressive through the years and dislocated their fingers or toes, something I would strongly suggest you not try if you're considering getting into the knuckle-cracking game anytime soon.
1: Well, I hope you feel vindicated, uh, number one, and, you know, as you were starting to kind of lay this out at the beginning, it kind of struck me that this does seem to be one of those things that... You know, older people sort of just say, like, well, uh, did you know that this will do this? But they just heard it from someone who heard it from someone. And, you know, it seems like you were right. Yeah, this
0: this topic was actually suggested by multiple people. Finally, when my wife suggested it the other night, I said, this might have some merit. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, She was probably hoping that you'd find out that it was really bad for you <laughs> so you'd stop doing it at the dinner table. I mean, come I on. I knew I had man. Just let me So Dave, when would you estimate, or maybe you have a definitive answer, uh, but if you don't, when would you estimate is the last time you bought something from Kentucky Fried Chicken?
0: About two years ago. So every once in a while, I'm a sucker for marketing campaigns, and they came out with a refreshed and rebranded pot pie and uh, it just sounded really good. It was a $5 meal deal. You got a pot pie, a warm chocolate chip cookie, and a bottle of water. It felt really good going down, and it was cheap, but uh, I felt very shameful the next day at the gym. Like I had to work out just a little bit harder to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, when you said that it had been two years since you got something, I sort of could fill in the rest of the story that maybe the experience wasn't super positive for you. It did taste good, though. It did taste
0: good. I am a pot pie fan.
1: Uh, And, uh, you know, we here at Commute, we like to talk about fame a lot, but specifically, Dave, I think we're both interested in how fame is achieved, but then what it does to average people who ascend to it quickly. The cost of attaining fame can sometimes be soul-draining and all life-consuming, and even some of the most successful people in their industries don't get there without paying a large cost. So today we're going to break down one of those stories, the tale of Colonel Sanders, the face of KFC. So Sanders was born in 1890 and lost his father at age five. And because of this, he had to work as a cook to feed his younger siblings throughout his youth instead of attending school. In addition to this, Sanders worked all sorts of jobs growing up from a streetcar conductor to joining the army for a year, to a fireman, to a train conductor. Sanders eventually got married to a woman that he would go on to have three kids with. Then he went to law school and began practicing law, but his career came to an end after he abruptly beat up his own client in court. Sanders went on to work various jobs from labor to selling life insurance to starting his own ferry boat company. He went on to work for the Chamber of Commerce but quit due to an inability to focus on work. He sold his shares in the ferryboat company and started a gas lamp business, which was very suddenly put out of business by the invention of electricity just a few years later. Sanders became a victim of the Great Depression and wound up jobless, only to get a job in 1930 with the Shell Oil Company. It was here that Sanders began selling food for the first time, earning fame throughout Kentucky for his famous chicken recipe, which was perfected using a pressure cooker. He divorced his wife in 1947 and married his mistress in 1949, opened his first restaurant, experimenting with franchises in the process, It was profitable until the highway in which his restaurant was on was shut down, bringing the 65-year-old Sanders to bankruptcy yet again. Sanders hits the road again, asking restaurants to enter the fold of his famous chicken recipe. Eventually, and with time, he attracted many franchises into the mix of his brand name. And at 73 years old now, Sanders began stacking businesses under his name. He was eventually persuaded to sell the business by family and friends. He would be the biggest critic of KFC for the remaining years of his life. Uh, In an article for Medium written by Salman Dogar, which is where I got a lot of information for this segment, he quotes Sanders here. He says, my God, the gravy is horrible. They buy tap water for 15 (laughs) to 20 cents a thousand gallons, and then they mix it with the flour and starch and end up with pure wallpaper paste. And I know wallpaper paste by God because I've seen my mother make it. There is no nutrition in it, and they ought to not be allowed to sell it. Sanders even tried to start a competing chain called Claudia Sanders for which he was obviously sued and backed off to avoid more legal consequences. So the governor of Kentucky commissioned Sanders as the Kentucky colonel in 1950 and the iconic character was born. For the last 20 years of his life, Sanders wore only his white suit in public and bleached his mustache to match his white hair. In 1980, Sanders died extremely wealthy and extremely successful.
0: There's a lot to unpack there. I got a little stuck at the beginning on the he got a divorce and married his mistress. Yeah,
1: I knew that wouldn't sit right with you. That
0: threw me off for a second. And then it took an even stranger turn when I found out that he basically hated KFC and tried to shut it down. He tried to compete with it. He's the face of it. Well,
1: and I think that opens up A really interesting question, right? Because KFC, the brand, continued and still continue to use versions of the Colonel Sanders character. Uh, In the 90s, KFC began using an animated version of him, and more recently, the franchise has hired comedians to play a version of him in commercials. Uh, Ray Liotta, Reba McIntyre, and George Hamilton have all portrayed the character. And Mario Lopez even made headlines when he portrayed a buff, sexy version of Colonel Sanders in a lifetime mini movie causing everyone to get really weirded out and this sort of behavior though has created a question around his legacy doesn't it Uh, since sanders had a complicated relationship with the kfc name in his remaining years of life what would he think about these caricature versions of him on TV selling a product that he maybe didn't necessarily believe in? Uh, the line is blurred here now between Sanders the man and Sanders the mascot.
0: Well, first of all, Mario Lopez for our millennial listeners, A.C. Slater from Saved by the Bell. So there's your reference point. It's interesting to me that outside of KFC, there's Wendy's in terms of fast food restaurants that actually feature a person. Part of their marketing campaign, part of their branding, part of the overall feel of the restaurant is a person. Wendy's with Wendy, who is famously Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's Daughter. And then there's KFC and the Colonel.
1: And as a quick side note, the name of the Mario Lopez-led uh, Lifetime mini-movie, A Recipe for Seduction. That was on Lifetime? It was. It premiered in December, and it was a very real It thing. sounds like it should have been on Cinemax. So, Jay,
0: I love to run. I do it almost every day. Average anywhere from 20 to 30 miles a week. Humble brag. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, I know you run as well. Okay, and you're going to say humble reg again here in a second. But I think it's fair to say that running is just part of your exercise routine while it is my exercise routine. And also know that you don't care as much about speed. And I say that as a compliment. I, I really do. I take speed way too seriously sometimes and it takes the joy out of running for me. So, Jay, what would you say is the fastest that you could possibly run either a mile or the fastest that you could run a 5K?
1: Man, I'm not sure. A mile? I mean, are we talking like you're putting me on a treadmill and you're timing me, or are you talking like someone's chasing me with a knife? Someone's
0: chasing you. You're going as fast as you possibly can. And I
1: have to sustain the speed for one mile.
0: Your entire family's survival. Rests on you finishing this mile as fast as possible.
1: I mean, if it, if we're talking those stakes, I, I bet I could I bet I can hit five minutes.
0: Five minute mile is blazing.
1: right. Like I'm not gonna do that just at the gym. You know, I'm probably gonna sit around like seven minutes or something if I'm like really giving it everything I've got.
0: My fastest mile without somebody chasing me with a knife was six minutes, and I'm not sure that I can ever do that again. But maybe it's because we're coming off of the Olympic-themed episode we had a couple weeks ago, or maybe it's because I watched a ton of the sprinting portion of those Olympics. But I've been wondering about just how fast human beings are capable of going. Like, do we just get faster forever? Can we somehow train to be faster than animals? Well, to answer this question, Jay, let's start here. What's the fastest that a human being has ever gone? Despite a great Olympic showing in the 100-meter dash this year from Lamont Marcel Jacobs of Italy, earning himself a gold medal with a winning time of 9.80 seconds, the title of world's fastest human still belongs to the legendary Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt. The eight-time gold medalist retired in 2017, but still holds the fastest 100-meter run in history. At 9.58 seconds. Jay, just exactly how fast did Bolt run, you ask? He maxed out at about 27 miles per hour, which is just under the top speed of the average house cat. Which explains a lot, because I've actually chased a neighborhood cat before, and it's a little freeing to me to know that Bolt probably couldn't have caught it either. So with that being said, what actually determines speed, and can humans just keep getting faster? Well, a recent study published by a group of scientists in, which is a page turner, I'm sure, the Journal of Theoretical Biology, they found that maximum speed is achieved by calculating a complex model, factoring in leg size, leg length, and muscle density, among other things that help determine how fast a body can realistically move. The team found that the two main factors that work against maximum speed are called air drag and inertia. Air drag is the opposing force on each leg as you attempt to move forward, and inertia is basically your acceleration, how long it takes you to actually start moving. What is the ideal size for a body for overcoming these obstacles? 110 pounds, or almost exactly the size of the world's fastest creature, the cheetah known to get up to speeds of 50 to 80 miles per hour. What's also fascinating is that this scientific method allowed the researchers to predict the theoretical speeds for all sorts of body designs based on a body that is about double the optimal size, so about 220 pounds. A giant house cat, for example, would be capable of reaching 46 miles per hour. And a giant spider would be able to run about 35 miles per hour, terrifying people from every corner of the world. The human, though, Jay, it looks like our bodies simply cannot sustain a speed higher than Usain Bolt's world record of 9.58 seconds. So, will we ever see someone run faster than Bolt? Probably so, but it won't be by much. And when you compare the speed potentials of us lowly humans to that of our animal friends...
1: Well, we're sadly always going to be a step or 10 behind. And how did our species even conquer the planet in the first place, right? I mean, we don't have any natural weapons. We're not fast. We can't jump high. We don't have some of the advantages that other species have. But the answer there is we work together. Right? You don't see cheetahs getting together and uh, working on massive scales of 50 to 100 cheetahs uh, to take down a woolly mammoth to eat for a month, right? It's all about brain power. Yeah, animals
0: are dumb. It's like uh, one of my favorite quotes from the great uh, bee movie, the uh, cartoon that was uh, created by Jerry Seinfeld. The evil beekeepers are looking at the bees that they've trapped and they're making honey and they say, They make the honey
1: and we make the money. You know and I'm thinking about, too? A book that is a favorite of both of ours, so check it out if this is a topic that interests you. Uh, it's called Born to Run. And in that book, essentially one of the main points the author makes is humans did not evolve to be super speedsters. We evolved to chase our prey down until they get tired and they slow down, right? So we're endurance runners. We're not speed runners at heart.
0: And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to please rate, subscribe, and review to Commute on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And check us out on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say hey at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.